Over the past few weeks here in New Heights, we've been looking at different heroines in the Old Testament. We started with Rahab and then turned to Ruth. And today we turn to Genesis and look at Sarah. Here now, the word of God as it comes to us from Genesis chapter 21, verses 1 through 7. Now the Lord was gracious to Sarah as he had said. And the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age at the very time God had promised him. Abraham gave the the son the name Isaac to the son Sarah bore to him. When his son Isaac was eight days old, Abraham circumcised him as God commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. Sarah said, God has brought me laughter, and everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. And she added, who would have ever said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. It's Father's Day, and I love my dad, but we like to tease him because he's getting older. Uh, For one, he's beginning to lose some of his eyesight, which is ironic considering he volunteers his time uh, as a Little League baseball umpire. And parents will yell nasty things at him from the stands like, hey, umpire, if you had one more eye, you'd be a cyclops. Uh, What makes this even more funny is that my dad's also losing some of his hearing. So when parents will yell at him, he'll turn around in the stands and just smile at them. Uh, In fact, my dad's getting so old that just the other day, uh, my mom and dad were in line for a movie, and they got their movie ticket, got out of line, and my mom realized that my dad now qualifies uh, for the senior citizen discount. So she got back in the line so that she could get $2 back. And when it comes to my dad, you know, we, we like to tease him about his age, but all things considered... He's nowhere near as old as one of the most significant fathers in all of the Bible. And his name is Abraham. And God promised Abraham at the age of 75 that he would become the father of a great nation. At the time, his wife Sarah was age 65 when God said to her, I will give you a child and from your womb will come a great nation. And we turn to our scripture today and notice that God has taken his sweet time to fulfill that promise. Because Abraham is at age 99. And his wife Sarah is at age 90. When they finally have their child, Isaac. And as per God's request, Sarah names the child Isaac. A Hebrew name meaning laughter. An appropriate name. After all, the story is funny, is it not? Here's Abraham at age 99 who's been driving his Cadillac and drinking his prune juice. And finally, he and his princess Sarah have the child God has promised them after all these years. I don't know about you, but if I'm Sarah after God's promised me that I'm going to be the mother of a, of, a, of a great nation 15, 25 years after God's made that promise, I'm not thinking, a great nation is going to come from my womb? Yeah, right. 
But in the end, thanks to God's sense of humor, the couple finally have a child. And Sarah sums it up this way. She says, I laugh. And all those who hear my story, I want you to laugh with me. Over the past few weeks here in New Heights, we've been talking about different heroines in the Old Testament. And I think the most important thing we can learn from Sarah's faith is that she indeed was the mother of all laughter. She gives birth to laughter and she encourages us all who have heard her story to laugh alongside her. So what I want to do for you this morning is to talk about why we should take Sarah up on her challenge uh, to make laughter a significant part of our relationship with God. But before I do, I need to just offer up three basic disclaimers. Because when I look at the Bible, I realize that laughter is not always uh, talked about in a positive light. So here are these disclaimers. My first disclaimer is this. Laughter is never appropriate when it flows from our own arrogance. Uh, In James chapter 4 verse 9, James reminds a group of very prideful people that they need to turn their laughter into mourning. And the reason why he reminds them of this is because their laughter is flowing out of their own pride. If you've ever had a superior or been a superior uh, who had a laugh that you just couldn't stand uh, because of his or her own his or her own financial or, or social or situational superiority uh, over you. This is the type of laugh that James uh, is talking about, and it's never uh, appropriate. And then my second disclaimer is, laughter is never appropriate when it happens at the expense of other people. As the writer of Proverbs says, Proverbs 17:5, those who laugh at the expense of others show contempt toward their maker. And of course, this is a laughter that we're pretty familiar with. I was reading the other day a television producer uh, who was talking about the difference between comedy now uh, in comparison to the way comedy was back in the 1980s when the Cosby show was the thing. Uh, And he said now uh, what makes laughter laughter is that we live in the age of the put-down. And the problem with this is that We only learn to laugh when somebody else is put down. Of course, the issue then becomes it's all fun and games until you're on the other end of the put down. And you and I all know what it's like to be teased, but we also know what it's like to be on the grunt uh, of a joke that we didn't think was so funny. Uh, As James also wrote, out of the same mouth that praises God also comes evil. Uh, We can say sticks and stones can break my bones, but words can never hurt me. But we always know that's baloney. Laughter, that comes at the expense of someone else, is never appropriate. And then a third disclaimer, just third and finally, in the book of Ecclesiastes, the wisdom writer says that, that laughter is not always appropriate at all times. He said there is a time to weep and a time to laugh. Not always appropriate at all times. Certainly is not appropriate at the expense of other people. And it's never appropriate when it flows from our own pride. So now I want to dive in. Why should you and I take Sarah up on her challenge? Why should we laugh alongside her? Why should we pay attention to this scripture? Why should we make laughter a crucial part of our relationship with God? 
And I have for you this morning uh, six very brief observations uh, that all come from one of the best books ever written on laughter, in my opinion, uh, by a man by the name of Terry Linval, who wrote the book, Sarah, A Mother of All Laughter. And so where I want to start with you today is just a first observation at a very uh, foundational base level. I think from Scripture, uh, the first reason why we laugh is because clearly it has health benefits. And the book of Proverbs, chapter 17, uh, verse 22, says, A cheerful smile is good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries up the bones. Some years back, William Fry, who works at Stanford, uh, did some research, and he found out that laughing a hundred times a day is the equivalent of ten minutes of rowing. It's that good for your heart. It's that good uh, exercise. One cardiologist put it this way. He said, laughter is any cardiologist's dream because it le- releases uh, corallines in your brain, which therefore release hormones, uh, reduce our anxiety, and help the blood flow in our heart a little bit better. And you say, well, what was Abraham and Sarah's secret to living so long? How come Sarah lived to age 90? And my response to you is, look, I don't know. The Bible doesn't say. But I guarantee you this, her sense of humor certainly didn't hurt. I think the first reason we laugh at a very foundational level is because the Scripture says it has health benefits. And then second, we laugh because we recognize that God is in control, and we are not. Let me explain. Some days ago, I went into a hospital where someone uh, from our church was recovering from a heart attack, and the, and the recovery was by no means a guarantee. And I walked in there, and I asked him, what do you want me to pray for? And he said, I want you to pray for my heart. I want you to pray for my soul. I want you to pray for the doctors and nurses who are taking care of me. And I also want you to pray that the Spurs win game six. (laughs) And I remember in that time just laughing. As if to say, gosh, I don't have to take myself so seriously. I am not in control of this situation because God will have the last laugh. This past Thursday, Richard Foster, who is a remarkable theologian, came to visit the church and he gave a little talk. He was telling a story about one of his friends uh, who was a remarkable professor and theologian as well. And he gave a 30-minute lecture. And after the lecture was over, uh, sure enough, he asked for questions. And someone from the congregation stood up and began to rip on everything he had just said. Went up one side of him and down the other and then sat back down. And uh, Richard Foster's friend just said, thank you very much for sharing. And after the event was over, Richard went up to his friend and said, you know, why, why didn't you respond to that guy? You know, why, why but didn't you, you certainly smart enough. I mean, he was wrong. You were right. You know what Richard's friend responded? He said, I was practicing the spiritual discipline of not having to have the last word. And might I suggest to you today that one of the ways that we can practice that spiritual discipline is by laughing. Because sometimes life throws at us things that are well beyond our control. You're pregnant at age 90. You've given a lecture and somebody just goes up one side of you, down the other side. You're at a point in your career that you never thought 
you would have to be. Uh, your future is uncertain, and your first impulse is to want to be in control of that situation. You want to be in control, but you can't. You can't be in control. Therefore, one of the most helpful things we can do outside of prayer is to take a step back from that situation and have the courage to laugh. As if to say, we are not God. Christian writer C.S. Lewis once said that laughter always involves a sense of proportion or seeing oneself outside of oneself as if to create a distance from yourself. As if to say, you know, I don't have to take my life so seriously. I can have some perspective to laugh because surely I am not God. And God then is in control. You'll note as well that one of the things I learned some years ago There's a number of people uh, here at church who have uh, the gift of prophecy. And they're often writing me emails or putting notes in my box as to what they hear God calling me to do. And often what I will have to do then is to discern whether or not this is a prophetic gift of theirs. And one of the ways that I've learned to do this is, is something I learned in a book by Jack Deere. And he said, never ever to trust a prophet who cannot laugh or does not have a sense of humor because clearly they cannot separate themselves from God and the words they give you might very well be their own. But a prophet who has a good sense of humor has that distance, has that perspective, has that ability to say, I am not God. I laugh because I'm not in control. Then third, we laugh Because God is undeniably funny. If you look at this scripture and you look at Sarah's uh, scenario, there is no way you can't tell me that this isn't really, really, really funny. As uh, John Ortberg once said, you know, uh, God is the great interrupter, always ready to surprise us with some bit of joy. Uh, some weeks ago, I went back home and uh, saw an, uh, an old high school friend. I hadn't seen her in about eight or nine years. Uh, and she told me that uh, she got engaged the night of my uh, engagement party about two or three years ago. And I didn't even see her that night. And I said, well, well who would you get engaged to? And she said, well, it's a long story. I said, okay, well, tell me. turns out she and her sister had come to the party, but her sister got sick. So after uh, 10 minutes, they left the party, and she went home. Her sister had very bad food poisoning, and it got to be about midnight, and she called 911. And the EMT came over to their house, and they talked to the EMT, and finally her sister was starting to feel a little bit better, didn't have to go to the hospital. And my friend just ended the story right there, and she said, this is how it ended. Held out her left hand. There's a huge diamond ring there. I said, well, what happened? Turns out that the, a year and a half later, later, the EMT proposed to her that this was now her fiancé. And so I asked her, you know, how do you make sense of that? I mean, what? And she said, you know, that night I never expected to meet my fiancé. All I can do is laugh. You know, sometimes God is just unpredictably funny. Then fourth, 
Laughter is always good for community. I wonder if part of why Sarah encouraged us to laugh is that she knew years later as a church that we would forget to laugh. For as theologian Dallas Willard has written, the church is one of the few places in the world where you can act serious and solemn and still get rewarded for it. And the research proves he's right. Uh, A researcher from the University of Virginia once asked churchgoers across denominational lines, what positive words or phrases uh, do you think about when it comes to church? Alarmingly, the word joy was the 14th ranking response. In fact, food was number 13. Uh, And laughter in community is just contagious. I mean, why do you laugh more at a movie theater with your friends than you do watching the same movie alone. It's just contagious. And if people see you laughing, knowing that you have experienced the joy of the resurrection, they're going to want to be part of that. And they're going to be want to be part of that community. That's fourth. Laughter is good for community. And then fifth, laughter builds a bridge with strangers. For often laughter can be God's gift in a very powerful way to break down the distance between a stranger. If you've ever been in a room of complete strangers and it takes 15 minutes for the anxiety to wear off, and the time at which the anxiety finally wears off is when someone laughs. I think this is of great significance. Frederick Buechner uh, once wrote that uh, comedy is always linked to tragedy. And in his book on preaching, he always said a good preacher will always take his most serious point and will try and get it as close as possible to his most funny point. Because the laughter and the tragedy are always connected. remember some days ago being in a meeting here at the church, and I had to say something very serious that kind of turned the meeting in a whole uh, different direction. And the meeting had started uh, with a bunch of laughter. I had to say something very serious. And my friend, uh, Debbie Chesney, just after I said this, you could have heard a pin drop. And if you know Debbie, uh, she is someone who has the gift of laughter. And all she just says is, hey, way to kill the meeting. And once again, everybody began to laugh. And there was this sense of connectivity that we were going to be together with God. And I think laughter can be a very powerful gift that way. And then sixth and finally, the final and probably most important uh, reason why we should make laughter uh, a crucial part of our relationship with God is that we laugh because God has conquered sin and death. You'll note and follow me here that soon after Sarah and Abraham give birth to Isaac, Some years later, you'll recall that God called Abraham to sacrifice his son Isaac. And Abraham gets ready to do it, but thankfully, just before he does it, God redirects Abraham and asks him to sacrifice a ram instead. As if to say, metaphorically, since Isaac's name meant laughter, I'm not going to kill my laughter. I want my laughter to live on. It's not going to stop here. And so many years later, God would go on to make a subsequent sacrifice of his only son, Jesus Christ. And by his death 
and resurrection, once again, God seems to be saying, I don't want my laughter to end here. I want it to live on because neither death nor life nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor principalities, nor famine, nor nakedness, nor rulers, nor anything else in all creation will ever be able to overturn my victory. We laugh because God wins. God wins. And that is where our laughter begins. And that is why laughter never, ever ends. Let us pray. Gracious God, we thank you uh, for the gift of laughter and for the gift of joy made possible by your son, Jesus Christ, who conquered sin and death and worry and anxiety on the cross so that we might be free of those burdens, uh, free to laugh and free uh, to laugh throughout uh, our lives and throughout the lives of those whom we live in community with. God, we ask that in the days ahead that you would plant your laughter uh, in our hearts just as you planted your laughter uh, in the womb of Sarah. And it's in Jesus' name that I pray, for he is our rock and our redeemer and our hope, both in this life and in the one to come. Amen. You'll note that next week we will turn to our fourth heroine, uh, Deborah. So you'll want to stay in tuned and, and come back next Sunday. You'll also note uh, that at, to my right here on the stage, there will be prayer ministers uh, available for you uh, at the conclusion of this service. Now, if you would stand for a closing prayer. Gracious God, as we go back into the world as your children, uh, help us uh, to go uh, with your joy and with your love. I'm especially grateful, Lord, as uh, our fathers go back into this world. I ask that uh, you would surround them with your angels and with your peace and with your strength uh, as they seek to serve you in their vocation. And it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Go in peace.